0: We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about the reason for such hostility on social media. And if you'll notice my thumbnail, which I use Canva to produce, uh I have a template and I just choose a template that I like. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Uh the hint is it's entitlement. Folks, entitlement is got to be one of the worst things plaguing Christianity our society. And, and it's, and it's from days of old, like there's nothing new under the sun. Y'all know that I haven't, I haven't reinvented a mousetrap or discovered fire here. I mean, people are, have, have an overinflated sense of self-importance and they feel entitled that their opinion and their Way of thinking is superior to the person that they see who thinks and looks and acts differently than they do generally speaking that's a that's a general problem with humanity. I'm not saying you have that problem. I don't have that problem uh However, as a human being, I do have that proclivity for uh, a cognitive bias that that i I think my own particular conviction is correct. I've learned over the years how to try to get past that. I'm very, very careful in what I say and how I speak, although some people don't think I am, but I really am. And the reason is is because I do have, just like all human beings, the proclivity to um think that the way I do things and, and think and, and understand things is the best way. That's it's called being egocentric. Everybody is egocentric. It just when it when it becomes pathological. Uh, it's whenever egocentrism starts affecting your day-to-day life. So some people are more egocentric than others, but everybody's egocentric, but we're going to talk about this idea of entitlement. Let's look at the comment section. Good to see everybody. Uh, John Exum is here with equipping expositors ministry and, uh, Sheila Cole and Terry Crooks. Good to see you. Hello, Diana Harden. Yeah, God, God can do more with our obedience than he can do with our opinions. Yeah, that's, that's, I'll, I will, I'll co-sign that statement. All right, let's get a word from our sponsor. We're so thankful that you've tuned in, and sponsoring the show is Lindsay Dotson. Dotson at gmail.com. Her contact information is in the bottom left corner of the screen. Are you part of a church congregation or any institution? Seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event. Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for events. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email, and this is the preferred way, to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact lindsayfaydotson, lindsayfaydotson, at gmail.com today. All right. Now, we're going to put the tip jar up. As you are thinking about 2024 and the works and ministry that you want to support, think about Christianity now. Christianity now is not overseen by any congregation. It's not the work of any congregation or church. It's me and Aaron Dotson. And you're supporting us, whether it's a $5 a month subscription on Substack, whether it's through Patreon or buy me a coffee, or whether it's just sending money directly to us uh, as, a, as in a tip through nearchurches at gmail.com. Your support goes to helping Aaron and Dotson fill some voids that we have in the equipment we need. To do some extra things we want to do as far as having guests on. And it also allows us to advertise. The more we're able to advertise, the more of a chance we'll have of getting these big numbers. And we already reach so many people that are outside of this quote unquote church bubble. Okay. And I'm thankful for that. And please don't ever stop sending in your questions, your comments. Most of the material that I put out, all of the I put out an article a day, I put out a live stream per day. All of that is viewer-driven content, so I thank you very much. Now, let me see if I can get in here. All right, let me put the chat back up. Uh, incidentally, for those of you that are watching, man, there's there's nine of you in Christianity Now streams. For a little old bitty channel with 124 subscribers, that's huge. I would love for you to share the YouTube to your social media platforms and invite your friends to look at it and interact with a thumbs up, uh, hit the notification bell, be the algorithm for us, whether you're watching on YouTube or uh, Christianity Now, uh, social media, sorry. We have the Christianity Now group and all that good stuff. However you're watching, be sure and interact with it. Hello, Facebook user. Good morning. Uh, Incidentally, good morning. It's 1211 here, but I'm sure it's about 10 a.m. wherever y'all are. We're having a wonderful Canadian day. Um, I took my dog out in the middle of the night last night, and it was barely snowing. And today we woke up with a good little cover. So it finally feels like we're in the great white north. Uh, the previous two years that we've been here, well, the first year that we were here, it come what was called a nor'easter in October. And there was over a foot of snow on the ground, like well over a foot of snow on the ground from October till about the end of April, but the beginning of March. Can you imagine? So last year wasn't quite as bad, but it was still several months. I think it started in uh, November the around the end of November, the snow started coming and about every week we'd get a little snowstorm and there was snow on the ground from November to about the end of April, the beginning of March. Hopefully this year, um what we lost in snow on the front end, it doesn't make up on the back end, so hopefully we still come out of the snow season around the end of april the beginning of march or maybe a little sooner all right um now let me get in here to the notes that i have for the show let me let me read let me let me back up here tony do you get a blizzard from dairy queen when there's an actual blizzard no i don't even get blizzards from dairy queen um i shared a a. of an article, I think it's the article that Todd Clippard wrote. Uh, let me get in here to, to Canva. So I've lost the notes that I, I don't know where they went. So we're going to do this off the top of my head, uh, which is how I used to do all of these in the past. I don't know why I'm, I'm sweating it. But uh, the only thing is, I hope the computer goes fast enough. Yeah, here it is. The Holy Spirit is not needed to understand the Bible. The Role of the Holy Spirit in Understanding Scripture, a Perspective on the Berean Example. The Role of the Holy Spirit in Interpreting Scripture has been a subject of significant discussion. While some tradition emphasizes the necessity of the Holy Spirit's illumination for understanding the Scriptures, an alternative perspective can be drawn from the account of the Bereans in Acts 17:10 through 12 This article explores the viewpoint that the Holy Spirit, having inspired the Scriptures, does not necessitate... Further illumination for their understanding. Man, let me tell you the mileage we've gotten out of this topic. There's grown people that are otherwise rational and reasonable that are out there thinking that the Holy Spirit is directly guiding them into an understanding of the scriptures. And I know it's not true because the Holy Spirit, if that's the case, has failed because he guides everybody into different understandings and like who are you to think that your understanding is better than mine if the holy spirit guides people in understandings because here here's the great trump card not donald trump but playing rook or playing spades you can have trumps so here's the great trump card oh well you say the you say that interpretation of that verse is wrong Well, I'm guided by the Holy Spirit. And I say that interpretation is right. Well, I'm guided by the Holy Spirit too. but the Holy Spirit told me, you was wrong. You understand the confusion that that breeds. Either the Holy Spirit has to work on the heart of everybody, so everybody will have the same understanding, or the Holy Spirit does not work directly, that's the point, directly, miraculously, Separate and apart from the word on the heart of the individual, he can't work on anybody because nobody has the same understanding. Exactly. God is not the author of confusion. You got that right. Good morning, Connie Barden. Let me go to first, let, let, me, let, me, let me preface all this with the reason I'm so adamant about this and I'm bringing in the example of the noble Bereans. It is because. Here's what people do. Here's the argument. Which things also we, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in, uh, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to read in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. So let me see if I can articulate the people's argument here. The natural man is not a Christian. He's an unbeliever. The spiritual man is a Christian. He's a believer. And because the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit and the holy scriptures are of the spirit, then the natural man cannot read the scriptures and understand them well enough to ascertain what God wants from him in his life and to be able to obey the gospel and live in accordance with God's will and die in faith. Only the spiritual man can. So it either takes one of two things. For a non believer to become a believer, an unbeliever reading the Bible cannot come to a knowledge of the truth. He either has to have some Christian who is a spiritual man guide him, or he has to have illumination of the Holy Spirit on the scriptures to enlighten him, to show him what he needs. Folks, the reason I'm so adamant in this is because. If I can find one example in the Bible, just one, where this interpretation doesn't hold water, then this interpretation has to be cast out and trod under the foot of men because it, like salt that has lost its savor, is worthless. It's wrong. It's vain. The noble Bereans. Noble Bereans, Acts 17, 10, 11, and 12, specifically 11 and 12. The noble Bereans received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Grammatically, the order of operations here Paul came to the synagogue and preached. The Bereans received the word, and they studied the scripture, the Old Testament, to check Paul's message. Therefore, because of, in consequence or consequently, because of the receiving the word with readiness of heart and searching the scriptures, they believed. So this is an account where you have, according to the false interpretation of 1 Corinthians 2, 14, you have natural men discerning the things of the Spirit, the Scriptures, and understanding them well enough that they were able to ascertain the validity and veracity of a message delivered by an inspired spiritual man you got to throw that interpretation of 1 Corinthians 2 out the window then. Now, I'm not going to put it in its context. We've done that in another podcast. But the juxtaposition of the natural man and the spiritual man is the juxtaposition of a man who is inspired versus a man who's not. Now, here's the comment from a guy with doctor in front of his name. Tony, you are walking a thin line. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, Matthew 12, 31. All I did was comment, I think you missed the context of Matthew twelve thirty one. the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I didn't say blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but I said, I think you missed the context of Matthew 12, 31. That's all I said. Tony, would this apply to the Ethiopian eunuch who asked someone to guide him? Yes. If the Ethiopian eunuch would have had, see this book says New Testament. If And Scott, I'm all up in my fields kind of talking like I'm bowled up. I'm not talking. That's, that's not directed at you. All right. So this book is the New Testament. If the Ethiopian eunuch would have had the New Testament, He would not have needed Philip to tell him who was under consideration in Isaiah 53 or 52. Uh Uh-oh. I need somebody in the comment section to check me. Was the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah 52 or 53? I can't remember. Got to be 53. Anyway, doesn't matter. But here's the point. Philip was a walking, talking New Testament. You don't know who the suffering servant is. Unless you have the New Testament. It's just like in Deuteronomy chapter uh, uh, 18, 15, and following. It's 53. Thank you, John. Um, In Isaiah 53, nope, excuse me. Where was that? It's Isaiah 53. The eunuch was reading from Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15, and following. That prophet. You don't know exactly who that prophet is. I mean, you do because you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the beginning of Acts. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches a sermon to the Jews where he explicitly states that that prophet is Jesus the Christ. Now, if I'm reading Deuteronomy and I'm a Hebrew and I have no knowledge of the New Testament, in other words, I've not heard the preaching of the apostles and I don't have a copy of the New Testament, then in order to know who that prophet is, I'll need some man to guide me because I need more revelation. But what I would do if I was like the noble Berean, if I listened to Peter, where Peter says, hey, Jesus is that prophet, I'm going to go search the scriptures like the noble Bereans did. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to see if what we know of this Jesus is, if, if that coincides with what the scripture states about the prophet. So I wouldn't need someone to guide me in that way. Peter, or Philip rather, whenever he went to the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, I, I don't. How can I accept some man guide me? He needed extra information. Well, we have that extra information right here in this book. So you and I do not. Need somebody to guide us in the first century, before the canon of Scripture was closed, before they had the Bible, they did need people to guide them. In that the New Testament, excuse me, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, doesn't tell you how to call on the name of the Lord in accordance with the commandments, precepts, and divine examples of the New Covenant. Like, for instance, in the, uh, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a gospel sermon. The Jews that were there on that day knew well enough the scriptures that they didn't have to go to the scriptures, but from their knowledge of scripture, they said, yeah, you're right, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, how can we call on the name of the Lord? And then that's the extra that they needed. They would not have been able to reason out from the Old Testament how to call on the name of the Lord. But if the Jews on the day of Pentecost had their knowledge of the Old Testament and could read this book here, from this book they could reason out how to call on the name of the Lord. Cause we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. All right, good deal. Thank you for asking that question, Scott. Yeah, Isaiah 50 through 53 is the suffering servant section. Yeah, the end of Isaiah 52. Uh, has such a profound statement. And I realized how much I use that word profound, so I'm trying to back off because if you use it about everything, then nothing is profound. But Isaiah 52, the end of it, talks about how there's nobody that's ever going to suffer or ever has suffered as much as the suffering servant will suffer. Folks, that's huge. Jesus suffered on the cross. And boy, howdy. All right, so here's the deal. This guy, Tony, you're walking a thin line. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, Matthew 12, 31. I said, I think think you missed the context of Matthew 12, 31. In other words, this dude accused me of getting real close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Which he believes is an unforgivable sin. I guarantee you. All right. Yeah, I. Yeah, man, that's just a profound statement. Just as many were appalled at you, many, many, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. There, there's nobody. All right, let me read you this dude's reply when I said he missed Matthew 12. As a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, we are called to grow and learn in our faith. And part of that process involves accepting correction. So he wants me to accept correction. And if I don't accept correction, which is the correction from him, then I'm a bad person. All right, listen to this. It's important to remember that correction is not a form of judgment or condemnation but rather an opportunity for growth and cautions Proverbs 3:11 through 12 says my son do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord dis- dis- disciplines those he loves and as a father and uh, the son he delights in struggling with correction this is his words again struggling with correction is a human trait not exclusive to believers it's a journey of humility understanding and continuous learning in the light of God's love and grace. In light of that, people have contacted me about your post concerning your theology. Brother, I'm just providing feedback. Well, again, I like that people have contacted me about your post. So what? Are you some kind of authority that people tell on me about to you and who are you are that I have to answer to you? So here's here's how I responded. And this this gets us into the crux of the of the reason for the podcast today about how social media is so hostile because of this sense of entitlement. My th- I, I respond. My theology is correct as it is aligned with the Bible. I hope you grow and learn and accept correction from me, and that you are uh, from me that you are not filled with the Holy Spirit in some miraculous way, and that the Holy Spirit revealed all truth to the apostles. And they and others who were inspired wrote it down for us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote well enough in the the first time that he does not need to perform a miracle in order for you to understand what he has already written. That is rather arrogant and insulting. So, I hope you will be receptive to my correcting you. I'm not being judgmental nor condemning. I'm just enlightening you. Now, I knew what this was going to cause. I knew it, it's, it's kind of like the deal with, with Israel and Hamas. On October the 7th, Hamas hang glides into this place in Israel and kills a bunch of people and takes a bunch of hostages. And when Israel retaliates, they say, the Hamas says to the world, look how bad Israel is. That's exactly what this is. He says, Tony, I appreciate your boldness. I really do. I try to remember the following. Well, I'm glad you're so virtuous that you're holding yourself up as the paragon of, of how to act and behave. Number one, respect. Always approach the other person with respect. Well, he didn't, he didn't approach me with respect. He didn't repro- approach me with respect at all. He bro- approached me with an entitled attitude. Remember, it's about the issue at hand, not the person incidentally all these he he's he's running this through chat gpt 4 i know this because i i run things through chat gpt 4 and so i recognize the construct and he doesn't write like this like you can tell if you if you read my writings you know that these articles that i put out i don't write like that i i write an article then i let chat gpt edit it because it takes away a lot of the esoteric church of Christ language and it makes it more digestible digestible for people that are outside the church bubble. But yeah, this, this dude, oh man, come on anyway. So remember, it's not about the issue at hand or it's about the issue at hand, not the person. Like, yeah, I, I, I would say he does need to remember that in this situation, communication, Clearly communicate your point of view and why you believe it to be correct. Use evidence and logic to support your argument. Okay, so let's talk about using evidence and logic. Nobody in the first century who was actually filled with the spirit had to logically reason propositionally to convince someone they were filled with the Spirit. They just showed it. They just did the work. So I think it's grand that he is telling me to use evidence whenever the thing that he is claiming, there is no evidence for. The thing that I'm claiming, I can logically reason and my logical reason trumps his inability to produce evidence. So therefore, he needs to go kick rocks. He's got to at least question his beliefs. But he won't. Number three, listen. Which implies that I'm not listening. Be willing to listen to the other person's perspective. They might have information or insights that you weren't aware of. Yeah, um, I do. I mean, that's the thing. As hard as it, as hard as it is sometimes, I listen to the other person's perspective. But not all perspectives are created equally. Some people are just wrong. What's the problem with that? I mean, let's 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 take this. If we'll we'll, we'll use John Exum, if somebody comes on John Exum's timeline and says, "Listen." You talk about baptism an awful lot, but baptism is not necessary for the forgiveness of sin. Baptism is not the point at which one is converted. Baptism is not necessary to the process at all. It's something to do that's good, that God commanded if you once you're saved, but it's not necessary to the process of being saved at all. How long are you going to listen to that person? Their, their perspective, I mean, it's, it's not like this is something that's new, like we're not on the cutting edge of, of religion or theology here. We're talking about things that have been discussed for a long time, and there's two camps of people. There's a camp of people that think that the Holy Spirit still does magic today, and there's people who go to the Bible, and they read the Bible, and they're like, you know what? I believe the Holy Spirit inspired this and I believe he did a good enough job that I don't need that, that he doesn't need to perform a miracle in order to, in order for the audience to understand it. Yeah. People, people breaking onto a per or coming into a personal post is like breaking into their house to argue or dissent. That's right. To argue your, to absolutely. All right. So. Um. Anyway, listening. Well, again, I I will listen, but I believe what this dude means by listen is I need to listen and take heed. I need to respect all ideologies as if they're the same, folks. I do not, and I don't think I don't I don't, I don't think civility calls for it. I don't think God calls for it. I think there are some things that need to be dismissed out of hand. For instance, I was in a preacher's group one time. I am no longer in that group. Uh, I was kicked out of that group, and I wear that as a badge of honor. Um, they were sharing this, this book review from a supposed Christian who claimed that Jesus was not against homosexual activity. And I put a comment, in and the, in the, in I was like, this is a terrible book. I don't know why we're even considering reading it. And I was told, well, you need to read that book because this book may have insights or information you weren't aware of. And I'm like, I don't care. The premise of the book is Jesus is fine with homosexual activity. A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. I don't need to read that book to know how terrible it is. And of course, I was a bad person because you can't do that. Well, I mean, I can, and I did, and I'm not going to read a book that the proposition of which is Jesus is fine with homosexual activity any more than I'd read a book that, was, that, that, that said that Jesus was fine with heterosexual activity outside of marriage. All right, number four, learn. Use this as an opportunity to learn and grow. Even if you're still convinced you're right, you can learn a lot from how others see things. I mean, like, yeah, okay. Look, I grow and I learn from every situation I'm in. But I don't think that's what he means. I think that because. I'm not validating his position as equal to mine that I'm getting this kind of treatment. And I'm, well, I'll am i read you what I wrote back to this. Anyway, reconcile if necessary. If it turns out you were wrong, repent. It shows maturity and respect for the other person. Here's the thing. I'm not wrong. This dude claims to be filled with the Holy Spirit to the point where he understands Scripture Because the Holy Spirit leads him directly. There's no common ground with with that idea. In other words, there's no agreeing to disagree. One is a denial of reality and clear Bible teaching. The other is just simply looking at the Bible in its context. That's right. The Bible has all the information on the subject of homosexuality we need. Yeah, John's got 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. I put that in there all the time. I read from that all the time. All right. So, and he goes on in the next paragraph. He says, remember, it's not about winning an argument, but about seeking Jesus as truth and understanding. It's okay to disagree, and it's important to do so in a respectful and constructive manner while avoiding actions of judgment. Here's what I wrote. So when I mirror your tone, tenor, and even similar words that you use toward me back to you, then you accuse me of being disrespectful? I hope you stop being disrespectful to me and actually clearly communicate your point of view using evidence and logic, which you have not done and be willing to listen to my perspective. My suggestion, with all due respect, go gaslight somewhere else. And that's exactly what that is. This is gaslighting. It's projecting and gaslighting. The word gaslighting is used, it's thrown around so often today, it's kind of lost its, its punch, but it is gaslighting. Cody Jones says, I have that same problem. Is there a scripture you can point me to? Because I can acknowledge when it's wrong, but I'll be believing it until I prove myself wrong. This keeps me silent when I want to talk. Yeah, I, I mean, well, that, that's the thing, right? There's nothing wrong with, with there, there's. hold on, let me, let me put this up on the screen so I don't lose, lose it. There's nothing wrong with this right here. If you see something that you disagree with, the default in your brain should be that person. And now this is 1 Corinthians 13. This is an attribute of love. You think the best. So this person, not this person, Cody Jones, but this person, this imaginary person that posted something on Facebook or Substack or wherever that I disagree with, he's researched his point. He's not putting this out in some fly-by-night kind of way. So I'm going to, I don't know. I, 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 my knee-jerk reaction is just to disagree with this person and what he said. But I haven't thought about it as much as he has. So I'm going to sit with it a little bit. And I'm going to keep believing my position and disbelieving his until I prove myself wrong in my position, but in the meantime, I'm just going to keep myself silent, although what I really want to do because I'm a human being and I'm subject to all of the particular proclivities that human beings are subject to, I want to run over there and argue, folks. I cannot tell you how many times I see something that I disagree with, and I'm like, "Oh, I want to go," and then I'm like, first thessalonians four eleven is it still where I can see it? yeah. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and to work with your own hands, just as we commanded you. I don't know Cody Johns personally, but this comment right here tells me that Cody Johns, at least in the area of seeing things with which he disagrees, he is not an entitled person. It's funny how that works. Good comment there, Cody. Appreciate you. All right. So, yeah, that, that that's what I wrote. And I, I cannot believe. I cannot believe that I've lost my notes. All right. Here's. Okay. Here we go. Oh, you're welcome, Cody. Uh, social media has transformed the landscape of communication, providing a platform for sharing ideas and engaging in discourse. However, it is often becomes a battleground of opinions, marred by entitlement and a lack of constructive dialogue. I put forth to you that what I just read to y'all between me and this individual, it was not constructive dialogue, but I am not the one responsible for that. You see, instead of coming in and being curious, he came in and was judgmental. If, I mean, I ain't going to lie to you, I, I want to have conversation with people that disagree with my position on the Holy Spirit. I am curious to their mindset, so I ask questions. I don't come in immediately and start saying, hey, you need to listen to me because you're in danger of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I have opinion about things that I do not expect everyone to agree with my opinions. Well, I don't agree with that opinion, John. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. You like to make them corny jokes. I figured I'd throw one back at you. <laughs> anyway, um, so let, let's, let's talk about this. this. I've got my notes here. Uh, it's 40 minutes into the podcast. I typically try to go an hour. We got enough time. So, what I've written here explores the challenges posed by entitlement in social media interactions. And of course, it exemplified in a recent exchange on theological discussion and offers strategies to foster more respectful and productive conversations. All right. Number one, understanding entitlement in social media discourse. So, there's a definition and impact, and then a case study. The case study is the conversation that I just read to y'all on the podcast. Entitlement and social media interactions manifest as a belief that one's opinion is inherently superior, coupled with an expectation that others should automatically defer to it. This attitude often leads to dismissive, condescending, and hostile exchanges. Now, I had an exchange with someone That was, they to me, they were dismissive and condescending. And it was about this topic. And the last comment was, well, I was once where you are. And one day you'll see. Until then, brother, I love you. And we'll just agree to disagree. I I didn't even respond back. That is so condescending you think that you're so enlightened, that is Gnostic. The Gnostic, the people who were Gnostics in the, in, well, not in the first century, there were subsequent, um, it, what, what grew into Gnosticism, they were the knowing ones. They just had this special esoteric knowledge that nobody had. Well, that, that's Gnosticism. Oh, you'll get it one day. Sheila Cole says, "If I disagree, any conversation should be scripture-based. Quote it, or you have no point. Telling me how to think and listen is not giving me scripture to change my mind, and scripture is all that will." Yeah, that dude with that post, man that that was oh, that was just a, a the epitome of entitlement, and it was gaslight. It what? It hit. There, there's an article that I wrote and it would take me too long to find it on the podcast, but it's called the four horsemen of disunity. This dude hit all four of them. He, he, he clutched his pearls. He virtue signaled. I mean, it was all of it anyway. So this recent interaction on the, on a theological topic illustrates the problem when only one party, when one party, when I, Mirrored the language and approach of the other individual. The response of the other individual was perceived, or the response. Oh, excuse me. I wrote this, and then I let it sit. Let me just read it as it is. I was trying to convert it. Yep, I'm Doctor So and So. Oh, awesome, Scott Beck. Thank you so much. Yeah, go go read that article, the Four Horsemen, folks. That Scott put in the comment section. For those of you on YouTube, it's not in the YouTube. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to figure out a way. I'll put it in the show notes somehow or another uh, after the program. But let me just read this, this case study. A recent interaction on a theological topic illustrates this problem. When one party mirrored the language and approach of the other, the response was perceived as disrespectful, d- despite employing the same communicative strategy. This reflects a deeper issue of entitlement and a failure to engage in equitable dialogue. In other words, one person had a, had a spirit of entitlement, and whenever he was treated the way he treated me, it was disrespectful, and I was a bad person, and I was unwilling to participate in equitable discourse, all that good stuff. All right, so let's talk about the role of self-reflection in discourse. Self-analysis encourage individuals to analyze their own responses critically. Are they reacting out of a desire to be right or are they genuinely engaging with the other person's viewpoint? Now this mirroring technique this is very important. Using the mirroring technique can be revealing. It often exposes underlying attitudes and assumptions in the other party as well as in oneself. So think about. You, and, and you got it. This is a hard, um, this is a hard exercise. Type out your, um, type out your response, read it, and try to read it as if that's the response coming to you. It would, and if you have a trusted friend, you can send this and say, hey, if I sent this to you and you didn't know me, how would it make you feel? Now, it's important. look, I talk about I'm, I'm almost as bad as Ben Shapiro. Facts don't care about your feelings. I mean that's true, but feelings also don't care about your facts. So we do have to take that in consideration. How does what we how does how we communicate make the other person feel? If it makes them feel bad, then that's going to undermine our communication. Now, I can't be so. Uh, focused on how my speech and how my tone and all that makes people feel that I then just don't communicate because if I'm just talking to one person, I can be very focused on how what I say and how I say it makes them feel. But if I'm talking, let's say to 10,000, then it doesn't matter what I say and the words I use or anything, somebody's going to feel bad. So you just got to find the best way and go forward. But this mirroring technique is amazing. If you're ever in a, in a, in a conversation with somebody on social media and you think, well, are these people kind of getting up in their fields and, 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 and treating me badly? Mirror their words and their way of talking and see what their reaction is. And then you'll, you'll figure out their actual intentions. Um Cody Jones says I do this and um a Facebook user says I'm entitled to my opinion or or I have a right to my opinion is an informal fallacy in which someone dismisses arguments against their position by claiming that they have a right to hold their own particular viewpoint the statement exemplifies a red herring or thought terminating cliché Yeah, good comment. And, um, ah, gotcha. This is John Exum. Not enough characters for the YouTube on the comment. Cool beans. All right. Now, uh, let's go to number three. Principles for respectful communication. So, respect and humility. Approach each conversation with respect and humility, recognizing that one's understanding might be incomplete. In other words, if I see something with which I disagree, I need to stop and chew on it a little bit. I need to take Cody Jones' advice. You you can believe what you want to believe, but before you go arguing with somebody, keep silent for a little bit, scrutinize your own stance, then scrutinize their stance. And you might find that there's some piece of Keystone information that you I did this I remember my buddy Tyler Jenkins me and him man I, and I can't remember I, I I'd give like a buck three eighty to remember what this was I read I was reading the the account of Timothy and Paul and um the the missionary journeys and there was something in there and I was like look look at this and I can't remember like first or second Timothy and I look at this in Acts and I look at this over here and Look at this, Tyler, and, and, and we and I drew this conclusion that was profound and illuminating and awesome. and and we talked about it for like 20 or 30 minutes and we looked through the scriptures. We couldn't find any way to, to po- poke a hole in it. And then one of his friends and mentors taught at a seminary school, one of our brotherhood preaching schools, and his specialty was the missionary journeys of Paul. And with one, I mean one very simple keystone fact. Everything that I concluded was absolutely false. And I just had to throw that away. What was my response? Well, there goes that. You've got to have that kind of attitude. And here's the thing. I am. I just don't care about my ideas. I care about what is right. So the, the, I cannot remember for the life of me what that wrong conclusion I drew was because it's not profitable for me to keep it in my head. All right, so respect and humility. Evidence-based discussion, ground arguments in evidence and logic rather than personal authority or experience alone. And I will tell you this, this person that, that sent me that message in this exchange, he will not engage with evidence and logic. It is always going to be personal authority and experience alone. And that's what everybody, everybody that has this conversation with me that tells me that I'm wrong that tells me that you just don't appreciate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directly, separate and apart from God's word, helps keep us from sinning, guides us, directs us, and helps us understand the scriptures. There is no evidence or logic. It all comes down to, you need to listen to me because of my personal experience. Now, let's talk about active listening. Truly listen to the other party's viewpoint, seeking to understand rather than merely to respond. In other words, be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not condemning. I want to talk to a person like if I would love to interview. The problem is I don't I think I think it would get the channel shut down. If I ask because I would press the person, and I have to use words that Facebook and YouTube would just absolutely pick up on and completely shut us down. But I would love to interview a transgender person, a person that has gone full blown top and bottom surgery. I want to ask them all kinds of questions. Now they will never ever convince me that they are right, but I guarantee you that if that 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 I could have a conversation. With them and I think maybe I might even be able to push back a little bit, but the, the Internet with the, the algorithm for any social media platform, wouldn't be able to handle it. I don't think people realize exactly how much I surround myself with people who disagree with me. That's the funny thing. I just thought about that. It just kind of popped in my head. I'm also saying I need to go back to the barbershop. I'm getting kind of woolly. All right. Dealing with gaslighting and manipulative tactics. Well, first off, you got to identify gaslighting. We're almost through here. So learn to identify gaslighting. Efforts to undermine someone's perception of reality or their beliefs under under the guise of correction or enlightenment. Folks, that's exactly what this dude in this exchange did. He he undermined, he tried to undermine my perception of reality. Look, you're not going to frame me in this way. And, and again, we, we go back to uh, one of the posts on my on my personal timeline. Um let me go back here. Let me give me go to my personal timeline. Come on, computer. Oh, I remember back in the old days, whenever I just did uh, did live streams and such, trying to do something, the computer would take a long time. All right. The Holy Spirit is not needed to understand the Bible. The noble Bereans stand testimony to that. Now, oh, here's a good one. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to understanding Scripture because it was written by him. When one does not allow the Spirit's leading in understanding Scripture There's a false spirit present, therefore a false interpretation of scripture. I feel sad we're at this point in the Christian church. My prayers go with you. Here's my response. How does that work? How does the Holy Spirit lead in understanding the Bible? All right, anyway, um, there was a fella, and I'm going to see if I can pull this up pretty quick. Um. He he come in, and his initial response was okay. Well, where is it at? Oh, right here. How do you know the Bereans didn't have the Holy Spirit? Now, think about that question. I said, who has the Spirit, believers or non-believers? Well, this dude says believers. He said, Were the Bereans not believers? My response, not when they were discussing the spiritual things of God, no. Or discerning, sorry. Not when they were discerning the spiritual things of God, no. And he goes, Where do you find that in scripture? And I'm like, In the account of the Bereans in Acts 17. He said, They received the message with great gladness. How are they not believers? This is an example of someone who is. Um, th- they are, uh, they're not actively listening, okay? And I'm going to get to this gaslighting here in a minute because this, this, is, this is a progress. This is, this is a process. They start out like this. Now, he- here's what I did. So he said, they received the message with great gladness, how are they not believers? This tells me he didn't go read the text. My response is, read verse 12. According to Luke, they received the word from Paul gladly and searched the scriptures to check to see whether or not what Paul preached was a lie. Now notice verse 12, and I'm, I, I do this in all caps, not, not for yelling, but for emphasis. I have a feeling certain groups are involved in grooming our children because they don't have the knowledge to debate them or refuse their belief. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's that's why parents have got to protect their children. All right. I said, now notice verse 12. Therefore, or consequently, many believed. They became believers after Paul's preaching and searching the scriptures to make sure what he said was true. They didn't become believers before they checked Paul's message against the scriptures. All right. Tony, that's an exegetical stretch. They searched the scriptures to see if what Paul's saying was true. Luke never said they weren't believers. They were checking Paul's word against scripture they already knew. I'm like, well, so you're telling me that they obeyed Paul's preaching before they believed that it was true? Anyway, they were Jewish believers, and the scriptures they would have been examining were the Old Testament as the New Testament had not been written. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, the sky's blue. You got it. So I said, no, it's not. I said, verse 12 is clear. In other words, no, it's not an exegetical stretch. No, it's not. Verse 12 is clear. Therefore, many believed. When did they believe? What occasion marked their belief, receiving the word with all gladness and the searching of the scripture daily? It's not a stretch at all. I know they were examining the Hebrew Bible. The point is not up for debate. It isn't even up for debate as to the order of events that what, and what is being communicated in verse 12 of the text. And he said, then how do you interpret and explain 1 Corinthians 12, 14? You see, he's taking 1 Corinthians 12, 14 and his understanding of the natural man and the spiritual man and he's saying, I've got to be wrong about the easily understood grammatical construct of a very easily understood and plain passage of scripture. So here's my response. I don't explain and interpret 1 Corinthians 2.14 until you understand the grammar of Acts 17.10-12, and I have a lengthy exegetical or, or grammatic exegetical, or exegesis. And he responds also in, Luke, in Acts 10. Now listen to this. This is how far this guy goes in holding on to this notion that the Holy Spirit performs a miracle so he can understand the Bible. In Acts 10, 34 through 48, Luke says that the Holy Spirit descended on Cornelius and his household while Peter was still speaking to them. My response. So you think the Bereans experienced Holy Spirit baptism? He says, I have no idea. All I know is what the scripture says and does not say Peter did order that they be baptized immediately upon seeing that they already had the Holy Spirit, which according to him, Peter is given at the moment of baptism. First off, nowhere ever does the scripture say explicitly or even implicitly, that the Holy Spirit is given in the moment of baptism. In fact, Acts chapter 8 stands in contrast to the idea that the Holy Spirit is given at baptism because explicitly, explicitly stated in the text, the uh, people to whom Philip preached did not receive the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I said, that is fine. So I actually said to the gentleman, that is fine. Then the Bereans throw a wrench in the thoughts there. They were not believers, yet they could discern spiritual things. The scripture does not say that they were unbelievers. I said, you are just grasping at straws then. I am assuming you meant to say, not say that. So the Oh yeah, he edited that comment. Yeah, he, he did say the scriptures say that they were unbelievers. I said, well, I'm assuming you meant to say not. Anyway, I said, you're denying basic grammar, like not even complex grammar. We're talking sixth grade grammar. Now, he says, Tony, and now you are on to insults. So here's my response. I said, good grief, LOL. You are offended. I find it funny. That's why I have a better life than you. I think it is so important for folk that I validate their belief because they are not confident enough in it to keep quiet and let me be wrong. He says, it seems you're looking for confirmation bias rather than discourse. May you find the answers to what you were looking for. Again, That's gaslighting, folks. That is the epitome of gaslighting. It's condescending, it's hostile, it's disrespectful, and it's gaslighting. But he wasn't happy with that. He went and and right after that, he he added a new comment, which takes his gaslighting up to a Super Saiyan level gaslighting. He said, Tony, you initiated the conversation, but had no intention of considering any answer other than your own. What? He's the one. I said, no. You initiated the conversation. You, compliment, you complimented. You commented on my post. I didn't comment on yours. And he goes, my mistake. I wish you all the best. May you be blessed. I just said I shall. It's like, what a complete idiot. Like, it is absolutely terrible. This is what passes for Christianity. This is what passes for people who say we ought to be more liberal and loving. I'm the one that has to wear the scarlet A on his chest. We can't talk with Tony because he's disrespectful and dismissive and won't hear anybody answers but his own. Well, this, this is a microcosm of the internet as a whole. And the reason this fella did this Is because he feels so entitled that his particular position and his way of thinking is so much more enlightened and superior to my own, and probably everybody else's, that he thought he was going to be able to come in and correct me, and I was going to defer to him. Bubba, you're in my house. You're in my house. If I go up into your house, I'm going to treat you. The way the Lord of the manor should be treated. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to ask questions. I'm not going to speak in propositional language. I'm going to be very respectful. I'm even going to be timid because it's your house. But mostly, I'm just not going to go into your house and argue with you because I'm secure enough in my beliefs and my convictions that I can let you stay in your house and be wrong. Why is it so important? For everybody on social media to go to find somebody they disagree with and make them validate a position with which they disagree. Entitlement. Now, I responded to the gaslighting with a calm assertiveness. I didn't restate my position clearly, but I did state the position like, no, you engaged me. I didn't engage you. Now, I wasn't defensive, but I, may, I don't consider myself to have been aggressive, but I'll probably be labeled as aggressive according to that exchange. Now, um, Terry Crooks says, many people are applying these verses. Yeah, John 14, uh, 16 through 17, John fourteen twenty-five through 26. John 16, uh, 12 through 15, Hebrews 2, 4, about the Holy Spirit guiding, uh, reminding, and teaching to themselves, and not and do not want to read the verses. Uh, Jesus spoke these writings to the apostles with the intention of preaching and confirming the gospel. Yes, Terry, that's exactly correct. And and again, I mean, I may, I don't know, I, I'm... Wondering exactly how much more light I should sign on this topic. Um, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But let us do finish this. I mean, I'm five minutes after the hour, but we'll be okay. So let's talk about it. Creating a constructive environment on social media. Within our sphere of influence, let's model behavior. We need to encourage a culture where diverse perspectives are not just tolerated but valued for the depth they add to discussions. You know, I tried to do that in the We Talk Truth group, and I will tell you why the We Talk Truth group is no longer very active. Is because policing it where people could come in and be met with a diversity of perspective and viewpoints in a respective way I found that that was all I was doing. And the people that I had to kick out of the group who were causing problems, they were going and they were tearing me down personally all over the internet and their sphere of influences. And it was gospel preachers, the worst offenders are people who preach the gospel for a living. They're the worst offenders that I had to deal with in the We Talk Truth group because they felt superior, they felt entitled, they felt like, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to correct people and I'm going to take over things. And whenever they figured out they weren't in charge and I would silence them or delete their comments, I was the person who was unable to tolerate diverse perspectives, and I didn't value any depth of discussion. Folks, that's gaslighting. Anyway, we have to create an environment where that's unacceptable. I'm currently working on reading from the Woods-Franklin debate from 1974 on the topic of the Holy Spirit baptism and miracles. So far, it's an excellent read. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is a good debate. All right. So, the role of the platform, social media platform, should foster an environment of conducive to re, uh, an environment conducive to respectful discourse. Perhaps by refining algorithms to encourage exposure to a variety of viewpoints. Yeah, my suggestion is, if you're going to be on social media quite a bit. Listen to viewpoints that differ from yours. All of these right-wing political pundits that I listen to, they say go listen to viewpoints different than ours. I do. I listen to it. I scrutinize it. Anyway, let's talk about the conclusion. Social media, while while a powerful tool for communication, An idea exchange is often hampered by attitudes of entitlement and unconstructive communication styles. By adopting principles of respectful and evidence-based dialogue, actively listening and being open to learning, individuals can combat these challenges. This approach not only enriches personal understanding, but also contributes to a more informed and respectful online community. The goal is not to win an argument but to engage in a meaningful exchange of ideas fostering growth and understanding in the digital age. So check out the article about the four horsemen of the of 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 dissent. Keep in mind the things we've talked about today and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 11 and following and if you are able to assimilate all of these things and work them into your everyday way of action and speaking, then at least in your area of influence, social media will be a better place. And that's all I've got. Folks, I really appreciate it. Remember, I'm going to put the tip jar back up so you can see it. I've had it down for a while, and I, I don't like putting it up for the whole show. Um, I feel too much like I'm panhandling for money. Uh, but if you'd like to support the show, you can do so near gmail.com. That's the PayPal. You can also $5 a month at Substack. Um, subscribe, hit the notification bell for the YouTube channel. Don't forget about Rumble hanging out down here. We don't do anything with Rumble, it's just an archive for the videos we upload on YouTube. And you'll be able to listen to our stuff on Rumble, but it won't be up to date. It'll be, it's always seems like it's a week or two behind in some cases. But uh, you can also be a patron on Patreon and you can do buy me a coffee and I have got to put out some member-exclusive content. I have not done that in the last couple of weeks because I've been so busy with some things, but I'm going to rectify that. So just consider supporting the podcast. This has been Tony Brewer with uh, Cogitations, powered by Christianity Now. You can listen to the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and uh, Podbean. Yeah, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. And that's all we've got. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.